All right, I would like to welcome you to Vision Baptist Church today. We're excited about being in uh, this service and looking forward to what God has for us. Let me kind of give you a few little announcements to kind of get you ready. Uh, This afternoon, uh, there will be a Zoom meeting at 5 o'clock. There'll be two of them going on, one for men and women. And Brother Trent will be uh, giving you more instructions on how to go about doing that. Uh, next week, Lord willing, we will have a drive-in service, and that uh, means all of us can come in our cars. You are several rules that need to be followed per the governor and per the sheriff. We will not open bathrooms, so you must come pottied up and leave to potty again. And uh, uh, there'll be no bathrooms. There will be a speaker set up out there, and there'll be an FM transmitter. Uh, that you'll be able to tune your car radio to, and you'll be able to hear what's going on. So that will be, uh, I hope, an exciting time for us all to at least be semi-together again. Uh, in just a moment, we'll have Brother David Boy come and talk to you about the tithes and offerings. I do hope that each of you are, are, are continuing to be faithful. This is a test and a trying time for any church because of the fact that uh, uh, we are not meeting and our missionaries are still needing funds. Fact is... Uh, in fact is I'm going to ask our church to give a special love offering to all of our guys on deputation. And, uh, so I'm not sure we'll either do that publicly sooner or later or just uh, zoom or whatever, but we'll do something. Uh, I would like to tell you that last night I had a nightmare. Uh, it was pretty bad. I was, uh, <clears throat> somewhere preaching and Betty was at our place that we were staying and I got to the church, I had my shoes on, my shirt, tie, and coat, and no pants. <laughs> and I could not find any pants. And I was panicking, and I was standing in the back of the room. There were several hundred people in the room waiting for me to preach. And I'm standing back there, and one of them said to me, are you going to put on any pants? And I said, uh, yeah. And so I tried to find a store, and I didn't know where I was. I finally got back through, and Betty finally helped me get some pants. So anyway... Uh, I would appreciate uh, you praying that I could get my pants on. I do have them on today. All right. So we're going to hear from Brother uh, David, the boy right now, and he's going to explain to you, give us our offering devotional, and then talk to you a little bit about giving. All right. Genesis chapter 22. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went into the place of which God had told him. There is a lot going on in this story. This is one of those places in Scripture where the wider you look through the Bible and see the ramifications of this event, the deeper this text goes. Um, There are two things that I want to focus on here that I'm sure that you have had pointed out to you since the time that you were in Sunday school. The fact that Abraham uh, was tempted by God here and the fact that Abraham got up early to go and sacrifice his son. So first, God tempts Abraham. Now, we know from the book of James in the New Testament that God never tempts anyone to sin. So when we see something like this, it should really spark our interest into what's going on here. And when you look into it, what is happening here is that God is simply putting Abraham to the test. That's what's going on. Now, personally, 
I'm not a fan of tests unless I'm the one giving them. Actually, they're kind of nice then. Uh, those are usually the easier days for me until they're all turned in and I have to grade them. Taking a test is rarely fun, but tests are essential. You need the test to find out what you know and, more importantly, what you don't know. When it comes to our walk with the Lord, the test always has to do with our faith. Do you trust me? Okay. Do you trust me with this? How about this, too? We don't always pass the test, do we? Sometimes we even fail the same one repeatedly. Abraham had tests like that. He failed on multiple occasions when it came to telling people who his wife really was when his life was in danger. What about God giving him a son? took him a bit to get that one, too, didn't it? But he did get it. Certainly there are things like that in your own life. Has there not been something in your life where it took you multiple attempts to pass the test, and, and did you? And wasn't it so sweet when you did? And aren't you grateful now that the test did come again? Christian, have you learned through your journey so far with God that his primary concern with you is not your comfort or even your well-being, but that his primary concern with you is that you grow in the likeness of his son? And that does not happen without tests. What is happening right now is causing tests of all different kinds and of all different intensities right now. And I would not make little of any of them. But at the root of every one of them, I guarantee it is the question, do you trust me? And I have to say this. Right now, it is going to be extremely easy for you not to give. But think back on what you know, what you know to be true, what you know God's word says, and what you know he has asked of you. And don't hesitate to do what's necessary. You see, that's the other side of this, Abraham's lack of hesitation. It always blew, blew me away that he got up early that morning to set out to do what God asked him to do. If there was ever a day to sleep in, I think it would have been that one. I don't pretend to know what was on Abraham's mind, but I bet he knew that if he waited until the afternoon to do what God asked him to do, he would have waited until the next day, and then the next week, and then the next month. Wouldn't you like the next test, whatever it may be, to be the one where you trusted without any hesitation? Don't you want to surrender to God as readily as Abraham did with his son? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. Lord, I pray that you would just keep um, uh, your will in the minds of your, of your followers, that they would, they would give, and that we would trust everything that you have placed in our lives to you. In your name, amen. Well, the, uh, before we read the psalm, you'll notice on the screen that there are three ways to give. You can give in person by the mail or online. You know, you can go to your bank, and I don't know how many of you use online banking, but you don't really write checks anymore. There you can do that. So I would just challenge you to be involved in giving, and let's take care of our responsibilities of taking care of our church and getting the gospel to the world. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Psalm 11. Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 11. Now, I believe with all my heart that we need to assemble as soon as we possibly can. And I think that we ought to be together. I think that churches were commanded to assemble. And so let's pray that this uh, virus will soon be extinguished and we will be able as a church to assemble together for the study of God's word. So I know it's a little bit difficult to sit still. I heard some people say that they actually miss the church service because they're busy and uh, the time slips up on them and then they, they watch the the rerun, which you could have done before. So I would just challenge you to be real diligent about getting together like a family, taking your Bibles, uh, 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 having the kids go to the bathroom, getting everybody seated so we can get into the Word of God. We need God's Word. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm chapter 11 and verse 1. I'm going to read the whole Psalm to you, and then we're going to go back through it. Now, every Psalm 
Every psalm is a song, and it's a song that was written to remember a truth or to, and to teach a truth. It's similar to what it says in Colossians when we are to, we're, we're exhorting and teaching each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. They're filling our hearts, and we're using that to express truth. So God uses these songs to give, the, to give David and other psalmists that we would get truth. I'm not sure when this particular psalm was written. I can't figure it out, but it could have been written when David was still in Saul's kingdom and he hasn't yet run. He will end up running before it's over, but at, at a time when he was probably being warned to run, it's possible that it was written when he was, uh, before he had to run from Absalom. But whenever it was, it teaches a great truth. And that is that we can trust God when all seems to fall apart. We can trust God when all seems to fall apart. Psalms 11.1 1 says, In the Lord put I my trust. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their air upon the string that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. Now, as I read through it, I just kind of want to turn that into Tennessee hillbilly for you. I just want you to understand, David is, uh, there, there's like a song going on here. You know, they're singing and I don't know if it's a choir. I don't know if there's different voices, but David says in the song, hey, I trust God. And I dare you, how dare you say to me that I should run like a little bird and hide in my nest on the mountain? And then they say, what they're the wicked have put bent their bow. They've got arrows ready to shoot at you and they're going to hurt you and shoot you. Verse three, the song comes. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If everything around us is crumbling and all the basis and all the truth, and there's no way to know what's right and wrong and right people don't do right and wrong people don't do what they're supposed to do and everything is wrong, what in the world can you do? And then the song comes back strong. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. And it may seem that they're trying to hurt me and I should run to the mountain. It may seem that everything is falling apart, but you can mark this one down. My God is still in heaven. He is still seated on his throne. He is still judging men. He will still do right. Verse five, the Lord tries the righteous, but the wicked and him that uh, loveth violence, his soul hates. God knows who's doing right here and God will maybe test me to make sure that I will trust him, but God will do the right thing. Upon the wicked, he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, a horrible tempest. And there shall be the portion, this shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loves righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. God is a right God, a good God. He loves righteous things. And he will receive those who love him. He will look upon those who love him. His face will shine upon them. Father in heaven, I pray now as we go through this psalm and try to apply it to our lives that you would give me wisdom and direction. I pray, God, that your people would be blessed. I pray that you build us in our homes, build us in our work, in our church. I pray, God, that you'd help us to start trusting you. When everything is topsy-turvy, when we don't know what to expect, when we don't know what to believe, help us to know we can trust and believe you. And I'll give you praise, honor, and glory for all you do. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Go with me, if you would, to verse 1, Psalm 11, 1, the object of our faith. And I just want you to underline the word Lord. In the Lord put I my trust. You understand what David said? David said, I'm trusting God. David said, I'm trusting the God of heaven. That's why David didn't need to flee. That's why he didn't need to be afraid. He said, I am trusting God. 
Now, I'm going to take you through some Bible truths about God and about things and why he could say that. But can I remind you that you are very likely making your decisions based upon based upon what the government says, based upon what your own security says, and you are trusting the wrong thing in this very moment. When David's whole world is falling apart, when the foundations are destroyed, when everything is crumbling, when his own advisors say, we better run, we better get out of here, there's no solution. David says, oh, no, 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 I know God, and I will trust in him. David was trusting in a God that really is and will really act. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please him because you got to believe that he really is. You got to believe there really is a God and you got to believe that he will reward them that diligently seek him. David believed that God truly, really existed. David believed that God was real. And David believed if I do right, God will take care of me. If I will simply seek God, he will meet my need and take care of me. David knew that he was trusting a God who is all powerful. David knew that God was able to stand against enemies that would shoot arrows at him. David knew that God was able to get his work done no matter what was happening or where it was happening. The Bible says in Daniel 3.17, I love the story. The Hebrew children are about to be thrown into the fiery furnace and they say this, our God is able. Our God is able to deliver us. Our God, whom we serve, Daniel 3.17, is able to deliver us. Do you understand? David knew that God was able to do great things. He'd seen God do great things when he fought Goliath. He'd seen God answer prayer. And David said, in the Lord do I trust. David was trusting a God who never lies. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18, there are two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. So, you know, when you hold your Bible in your hand and when you hold the word of God in your hand, you have a promise that God's word does not fail. You have a promise that whatever God said is really true. And David's like, in God, I trust. I know God. He's strong. He is able. I know God. He loves me and cares for me. I know God. He's real. I know God. He never lies. I know a God who hears and answers prayer. Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven says that we are to make our requests known with thanksgiving. That's the craziest thing in the world. You ask for it and you say, thank you immediately. Why? Because you know he's there. Because you know he hears. Because you know he answers. And that's what David said, in God will I trust. And that'll give you the peace of God that passes all understanding. When David said in Psalm chapter 11, in the Lord put I my trust, he was saying, there's a God in heaven who knows me personally who is personally interested in me, who will personally hear me, who will personally care for me, and I call on him. Now this morning, you and I serve that same God. And every one of us ought to be able to say, uh, whatever's going on with a virus, whatever's going on with society, whatever dumb laws the government's making, we know who we can trust. And by the way, you can't trust whether or not the government's going to take care of you, but you can trust that God will take care of you. In the Lord, in the Lord, put I my trust. Next thing I want you to look at verse one is this. There was the outlook of fear. Look in verse one. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your... How in the world would you tell a man who trusts God he's got to run? Oh, you say the wicked have bent their bow and they make ready their arrows and they're going to shoot me. I'd just like to go through some different fleeing things in the Bible with you if I could. There are times that every man or woman of God should flee. There are times that every man and woman of God should flee. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 8 that we are to flee from the love of money. 
I think maybe if there's anything going on in our country at this very time, it is that our financial systems are under attack. It is that our government is becoming the owner of almost everything we have. And it is our government has become everything that we never believed in before. And, and they're attacking a money situation. But we don't love money. We don't chase money. We flee from the love of money. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 8, all I need is food and raiment, food and clothes, and I should be content. In Luke chapter, 1 Timothy 6, 9, it says that if you will be rich... You will fall into temptations and snares and foolish and hurtful lusts and destructions and perditions. For the love of money is the root of all evil. And those that covet after money err from the faith and pierce themselves through with sorrows, many sorrows. But then he says in verse 11, but thou, O man of God, flee these things. So the man of God ought to stand up and say, hey, Babylon can fall, Wall Street can fall, the jobs can fall, I can lose my job, I can lose my house, I can lose everything I have. I still have God. I am not trusting my money, I am trusting my God. In God will I trust. We're to flee after, we're to flee money and all the things about the, the, that love of money stuff, and we're to follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. We are to flee youthful lust. In 2 Timothy 2.22, it says, flee also youthful lust. So young people have things they want. They're dreaming about all the toys they can get, and they're dreaming about all the things they can have. And he says, y'all run from that. Run from that. Don't want what young people want. But follow after righteousness, faith, charity, and peace. We also know, before I leave the fleeing, that Joseph is one of the best examples of fleeing. He's in the house of Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife thinks he's good looking. Potiphar's wife wants to have sexual relations with him, and Potiphar takes off, uh, uh, Joseph takes off running, and he leaves his clothes there because Joseph wanted to do what was right. There are times that we ought to flee. That's not what David's talking about here in Psalm 11.1. He said, I'm not going to flee. But there are times when you should not flee. There are times when you shouldn't flee. That's what David was saying. How do you expect me to run? Now, I need to tell you, David does run later on. David runs from Absalom. David ends up running from Saul. And, and David ends up hiding in a cave. And so there are times you're going to flee, but there are times you shouldn't flee. And when shouldn't we flee? When we're doing the work of God like old Nehemiah was. In Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 10, they said to him, let's shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay you. They're coming here to kill you. Yep, in the night they will come and they will kill you. And Nehemiah said, you think a man like me ought to flee? Who is there like me, being as I am, that would run into a temple to save his life? I will not go in. When you know you're doing what God wants you to do and you're in the right place doing the right thing and you're doing right, you don't run. Paul wouldn't be moved by fear. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, he said, none of these things move me, and I don't even think my life is worth saving. Neither can I. My life is dear. I'm not trying to save my own skin. I'm trying to do the will of God. I think probably the harshest criticism of fleeing at the wrong time is the word given to, uh, by Jesus when he said there are two kinds of shepherds. There's a real shepherd and there's a hireling. There's him, Jesus, who would not flee, who would lay down his life and die. And there's a guy who's doing it for money. And though I think this is a direct uh, 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 speaking about Jesus, how many preachers are like hirelings? In John chapter 10 and verse 11, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. In verse 12, he said, but there's a hireling. And when he sees a wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and flees. Verse 13, the hireling flees because he's a hireling 
and he cares not for the sheep. I do not want to run when I ought to stand. I do not want to run when I ought to stand. David knows in Psalm 11, 1 and 2, that he could trust God. He was doing what God wanted him to do, and he would not let fear dominate his life. Fear paralyzes. Fear feeds doubt. Fear kills God's plans for you if you let fear take over. We have not been given a spirit of fear. We are not fearful people. We're believing people. In 2 Timothy 1, 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, love, and a sound mind. I'd like to remind you that Jesus rebuked his disciples for their fear. You see, fear is the opposite of faith. If I'm trusting God, I don't have to be afraid. If I'm fearful, I'm not trusting God. And that's how it works. And so in Matthew 8, 26, Jesus said unto them, why are you fearful? Why are you fearful? Oh, you of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. Why are you fearful? Oh, you of little faith. He rebuked Peter too. In Matthew chapter 14 and verse 30, when Peter's walking on the water, it's the craziest thing in the world. Jesus said, he says in verse 30, he was afraid. And he said, Lord, save me. And in verse 31, immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? We are not to be doubters. We are not to be doubters. We are to be believers. But before I leave this, because I know that many of our church are missionaries and they work in places where things can be very hectic and they might listen to this and say, boy, Austin thinks we ought to stay even if they're going to kill our family. Austin thinks we ought to stay no matter what would happen in the Bible. We know that's not true. Jesus himself fled and Paul fled. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 28, all those in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they led Jesus all the way to the brow of the hill. They got him to the top of the hill, and they were going to throw him off on his head. And somehow he blinds them or something and walks right back through the middle of them and moves on. It was not time for him to die. And we see the Apostle Paul and others going on to another city when things happen. So don't take that wrong. Know that you trust God. But we're not really dealing with people trying to kill us for serving God. We're dealing with people being afraid of a virus. We're dealing with people being afraid of financial ruin. We're dealing with people. And I'm not saying we shouldn't take precautions. I'm simply saying we trust God in the society we live in. You don't need to wake up every morning in a panic. You don't need to wake up every morning thinking to yourself, I don't know what's going to happen. Everybody's going to die. That's not how we ever think. We believe God. Get ready to deal with fearful things in times of peace. If I could say anything to you, I would say this. You can't be David in Psalm 11.1 unless you're David when he writes Psalm 23. You can't be David in Psalm 11 when everything's falling apart, when in just a minute the foundations, the very basis of society has been destroyed unless you have been with God when times were peaceful. If you want to trust in the storm, you got to build foundations while it's time of peace. There will be persecution. 
If I watch anything that goes on in what's happening right now in the news, and I've watched something shut the entire world down. People have mocked the coming of Christ. They've mocked what the book of Revelation says. And yet, and with my own eyes, I've seen the entire world brought to their knees. I've seen everybody shut everybody down, and two-thirds of the world are locked down like as though it was in the book of Revelation. Now, we're not in end times, and that's not what's happening. But I will tell you this. Persecution is coming. There will be worldly reasons to panic. We don't have to because we trust God in God. Let me give you one last thing. J. Frank Norris was a famous old preacher. And J. Frank Norris said, every time you run, you lose something. When you need to stand and fight and you don't stand and fight, you become less of a man. If you'll give up once, you'll give up twice. If you let, if you let the devil beat you and the world beat you once, you'll let him do it twice. Go with me to Psalm chapter 11 and verse 3. So in Psalm 11, 1, we have seen that in the Lord do I put my trust. We have seen that they're out to get him. We have seen that he will not be afraid. And then we come to one of the most famous verses in all of the Old Testament, I think. Preachers are preaching all my life. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? You see, the world is upside down. Nothing's working like it's supposed to work. Our, our government's not doing right. Our medical society's not doing right. Our churches aren't doing right. Nobody's doing what you would expect them to do. Yeah, that's where, that's where David's living. You see, David's in the palace, probably, maybe. He's in the palace, and, there, and Saul, who's supposed, he knows he's supposed to be the next king, and yet people are trying to kill him. He said, he's like, I, I don't understand. He said, I was told I was to be the next man of God. I've trained to be the best man of God, next man of God. I've done everything I was supposed to do. And now they're trying to kill me. And even my own crew is trying to get me to run. Uh, maybe it's when Absalom is overthrown. His, who knows when it is. But he said, man, everything that ought to be right is not right. What are we going to do? If everything is supposed to be right, it's all messed up. What are we going to do? And that's what's going to happen in the last days, by the way. False religion will rise up. A one world church will rise up. A one world government will rise up. And all of that will be happening. The world will be upside down. The law will be being ignored. Wicked people will wrongly attack a good man. And David has a sense of helplessness. If right isn't right and wrong isn't wrong, what will we do? If there's no absolute truth, what will we do? Things are bad. I might throw in here that if you're a born-again believer, this is what's right. But wait a minute. They're trying to destroy this. Every day it's attacked. Great spiritual leaders who you love on the internet have denied Genesis 1 through 11, just like the liberals did when I was a young boy in college. They, they would mock creation or say it's not true. They would say creation is not really important. They would say a worldwide flood is not really important. They would come to the Bible and say that all the miracles aren't necessarily important. But he was a good man. Heard a guy on the news this morning say, you know how Jesus rode in today on a donkey? And he rode all the way into Jerusalem believing. And that's how he was killed. But he overcame because he was believing. And we may be in bad times, but if we believe, we'll overcome. And I was like, what in the world? That is like the height of stupidity. But you can do that if you're on Fox News. This is the word of God. Did you know long before scientists or anybody else knew, this book has proven itself so many times, it's ridiculous. In Job chapter 26 and verse 7, he said, while they all believed that Atlas had the world on his shoulders or a turtle carried the world, the Bible said in the book of Job, God hung it on nothing. 
It'd take them years to figure that one out. They say that we thought the world was flat, but in Isaiah, he said it sits on the circle of the earth. Isaiah 40, 22. We have the word of God. And when anyone attacks the Bible, they attack the very foundations. And when you believe the constitution or the government, more than you believe the Bible, you're attacking the foundations. And by the way, we were to be together to study this word. In Hebrews 10, 24, we were to consider one another, to provoke each other unto love and to good works. We were to assemble ourselves and to exhort one another. But this is what's beautiful in the psalm. Go with me if you would to verse 4. Psalm eleven four. What's really beautiful in the psalm? If you'll look at verse 3, right there in your English Bible, it's a question, not a statement. See, notice it's a question not a statement. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If that's what's happening, what can they do? And then the Holy Spirit of God takes David right back to what's really true. You see, uh, our world can lose its equilibrium. Our world can be turned upside down. Everything we know and everything we've understood and everything we've ever believed can be totally bogus. But there's one thing that would bring David back, and that's this. The outcome of our faith. Look at verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. They may be trying to kill David. David may know he's the man of God and everybody's out to get him. It may seem that everything is topsy-turvy and nothing's working out like it's supposed to. But the Lord's throne is in heaven. He is still God. He is still on his throne. He is still judging men. He is still saying what's right and wrong. He is the God of the universe. Now, when it may look like the things are under attack and everything's falling apart here on the earth, what I do know is the one he trusts in verse 1 is still the, verse, the one in verse 4 who is seated on his throne. Don't you for one minute believe that God doesn't know what he's doing. Don't you for one minute believe that God won't be accomplishing his purposes even in all of this. Don't you for one minute believe that God has lost any battle whatsoever. He tries the righteous and he hates those that love violence and wickedness. All the earth may be in chaos, but God's still in heaven. God will take care of things. He will do right by his people that do righteousness. It appears everything's out of order, but it's not. He's still in charge. And he will judge the sin of the wicked, and he will shine his face on him that believe him. Go with me if you would to Psalm eleven six, And look at the outcome of the faithless. There are people who don't believe God. They're the same people that would be wanting to attack David. And this is what God says. It may look like there's no court system you can go to. It may look like the Constitution is no longer in effect. It may look like the policemen that are supposed to be ministers for judgment and righteousness are really doing things that are wrong. It may look bad, but God's still on his throne. And it may look like the bad are going to win and the good are going to lose. It may look like it did on the day Naboth stood for right. Naboth stood for right and said, I cannot sell you, Ahab, I cannot sell you my vineyard. I cannot trans transfer my vineyard because the foundation, the word of God says, I'm not to do that. And they killed Naboth. And it may look like everything is going to go wrong that can go wrong, but God is still on his throne. And God will still judge. And in verse 6 it says, And upon the wicked he will rain snares and fire and brimstone and a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. Punishment Judgment is coming for the wicked. The wicked are the faithless that do not believe and do not trust God. David expresses his trust in God as he ends this psalm. 
I love this. I just want you to notice how David's like, I can, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you at the very beginning, I trust God. And I'm going to tell you why it seems like I'm having to trust him because people are trying to kill me and the foundations are destroyed. But I'd like to remind you that he, he really is God and he's still on his throne. And I'd like to remind you, God's going to judge him. And he said, but before we finish this song, let me just tell you, he's God. Look, if you would, at verse seven, for the righteous Lord loves righteousness. His countenance is way upon death. Behold the upright. That means, you see, the countenance is like when Esther wants to go in to see the king. His countenance, he needs to see his face. And if you had to lift the scepter, God's looking at you. God's listening to you. God's hearing your prayer. God hasn't turned on you. It may seem the foundations are destroyed, but they're not. It may seem that wicked is winning and that good is losing, but God is still in control. And so David says, in the Lord, put I my trust. And you know, right now, this is a time more than there ever has been since I've been alive when we're going to have to stand and say, I believe the Bible and I believe God and I will not let fear dominate my life. I will honor God. Father in heaven, I love you. I thank you for the privilege of talking to your people. And I pray that today your name would be glorified and magnified. And I pray you'd just show your strength. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I would say to you that just possibly you've been letting all the fear get to you. Cabin fever is about to consume you. The kids are about to drive you crazy. Life's not what it's supposed to be. And you don't know where to turn. I take you to verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. And he's still judging men. He will take care of things. Would you say with me? In the Lord, put I my trust. Now, some of you aren't saved. You're listening because you have nothing else to do. But if you died, you don't know that Jesus is your Savior. You don't know that you go to heaven. But Jesus loves you. He died for you. He paid the sin price for you. You can go to heaven when you die. Jesus loves you. Trust Christ today. Just know that you have sinned against the holy God. The Bible said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible said, there's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I challenge you to trust Jesus in these days. This is a great time to realize you need the foundation. And it may seem that the world's foundations are shaken, but God's foundations cannot and will not be shaken. You can trust Jesus. Father, I love you. And I pray that you would bless people today, save people, and help Christians to grow and love you and have more strength than we've ever had. And I'll give you praise for all you do in Jesus' precious name. Amen.